We finished off last week in our confessional booklet, we finished off chapter 11, so we are now on to chapter 12 on adoption. We brought some more booklets. If you are a visitor here this morning and you'd like a booklet, I believe there's a couple at the back. We also found out while us and Minans were in Florida that there is a Founders app. So if you download the Founders Ministries app on your phone, they've got the confession in modern English, uh, exactly this copy there as well. So there's multiple ways to read this confession in modern English. And so we're going to get going here on chapter 12. There's only one section, but it's a good one, on page 30. And I'll read it, and then we will work it piece by piece here. On adoption. God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. By this, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father. They are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. And isn't that great? I've shared before that I think adoption actually, I I stole this from J.I. Packer, but I think he's right, is that adoption gets talked about relatively little compared to justification or sanctification or even glorification, Uh, and yet J.I. Packer sees adoption as the highest benefit, the highest blessing of salvation on this side of eternity. Uh, And I think he's right. Think of what it means that you are adopted into God's family. And this breaks out and and shows us some of the benefits that we have from being adopted into God's family. But these blessings are real and they are quite powerful. And so I'm curious, I sometimes ask experience questions, so there's no right or wrong, there's no putting anyone on the spot. But I'm wondering, for whom of us has the concept of adoption as relates to the gospel? For whom of us has that been a common theme that we remember being taught about kind of as we've walked through our Christian lives? One, two, okay. For whom is this still a new concept that you're just starting to work through and and think about and talk about? Okay, several more. And again, mostly abstentions. So it's okay to vote. (laughs) No one's putting you on the spot. I always like those online surveys where you actually have to go to the trouble of going to a website and then there's an undecided thing. It's like, why go to the trouble to go to a website just to vote undecided? But I digress. All right. So we'll break this apart and we'll assign the, the text as normal. Okay? So first of all, God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. And there we have Ephesians 1 verse 5. Who's willing to take that? Dave Weeb. And who is willing to take Galatians 4 verse 4? Howard. Okay, so go ahead, Dave. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Okay, so Ephesians 1 and 2 breaks out the concept of predestination and the benefits of the gospel, the order of salvation. And so you see right there with what Dave just read, this talk of adoption isn't something that we've invented or come up with. It's right there in the text. Adoption's right there 
in the text. Uh, and maybe I'll keep putting Dave on the spot because he's not a shy guy. Um, but it might be helpful to define adoption. What does adoption mean, Dave, both generally and then as pertains to here? Okay, we'll just stop right there. Did everybody hear that? In human adoption, who decides? The parents. The parents. Okay? The parents voluntarily choose to show mercy, not on a nameless, faceless system, but on a child. Someone with a name. Very good. Keep going. So you're telling me that when parents adopt a child into their family, even if it's not a natural-born child, that child is every much, every, every way as much a child? Yep. By law and also just by life, right? If it's a proper adoption, they're full, they're full members. Yep. Full members. Okay? And so again, w- just in the act of adoption, you see grace just in that action. Right? This... Jesus didn't die for a nameless, faceless system. Jesus died for sinners that have names. He died for individual people. Okay? It's compassionate, it's personal, and he sets his love on those people and adopts them into his family. So this is intimate, this is fatherly, this is loving, this is compassionate, and this is one by one done for those who are in Christ. Anything else on this? I see hands moving, but I don't know if that's scratching or if that's comments. If not, then we'll go ahead and Galatians 4, verse 4. Okay, so there it is again. Howard just read it. We receive adoption as sons. And it's presented here as all on the basis of Christ. And this is an important theme, and we're going to see that lots in this section is... The Bible uses many different word pictures to describe the same thing, right? And, and so we have to be careful to not press these one to the exclusion of the other because these are different angles of looking at the same truth. Um, so, for example, we as Christians, as a church, we are the bride of Christ, right? And we, we can see what that kind of imagery and that kind of language conveys, but that shouldn't make it weird for you to say that we're also Christ's little brother, okay? Because we're not pressing this all the way to the extreme. Well, you can't marry your little brother. That's misunderstanding it. We're looking at different aspects here. And so the theme of Christ being our older brother is a really big deal. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one out of the grave, okay? He is our older brother. He's cleared the path all the way. He has done what... Adam failed to do and what everyone in this room would fail to do. So he is our older brother. He paves the way for us, he blazes the trail, and he accomplishes what all the heroes of the Old Testament were unable to accomplish. Okay? He is the better Adam, he's the better Noah, he's the better Abram, he's the better Moses, he's the better David. 
Okay? He is our older brother. And when the king's son invites friends into the king's courtroom, guess what? They're allowed there. Okay? If I'd go waltzing into Westminster Castle and think I just had a place at the throne room, what do you think would happen to me if I just waltzed in there? Do I have any right? I have no right whatsoever to be there. What if I am a guest of the king's son? Okay, now I have a right to be there. Now I can stand before the king without any fear of judgment because I belong there. And that is the big brother theme of Jesus Christ. Okay? We're allowed to be there by invitation. Christ has said, Dad, look what I found. Look who I'm bringing home with me. And we actually are adopted. And the father says, that's good. That's wonderful. I'm going to put my name on this one because of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully uh, a picture is starting to emerge here on what this big brother theme, what the adoption theme is like. Keith. Yeah, so Keith, Keith just mentioned a few weeks back, we talked about the Canaanite woman who's asking for Jesus to heal her, right? And Jesus rejects her how many times? How many times does Christ push her away and say, nope, nope, you're a dog. No, don't talk to me. No, leave. Right? Jesus pushes her away three times to test her. And Keith is just pointing out the theme, and then she humbly says, yes, but even the dogs get scraps, get crumbs off the children's table, right? She's pressing into these adoption promises. God's provision is adequate for all the children. Scraps will fall off the table, and she is a Canaanite. She is a Gentile woman, uh, gets to feed off of that. And so Keith correctly noted an adoption theme in there. Because if we're working with a very wooden understanding of the old covenant, the one that the Jews had, does a Canaanite woman belong in the people of God? No, absolutely not. Because she's the wrong ethnicity. Okay? Canaanites are not the people of God. Canaanites have no hope. Canaanites are wicked. Canaanites are beyond hope. Canaanites don't get the benefits of Jesus Christ. They're dogs. And remember, in the Bible, dogs weren't cute little things that you let on your lap. They were scavengers. They were scum. They were disease carriers. And Jesus says, yeah, come. Okay? So even today, we need to be very uh, careful about thinking just because someone's background is rough or just because they don't have the ethnicity that you might prefer doesn't mean they can't be adopted. Because guess what? We're all mutts. Everyone is a mutt including the Jewish people. They all don't get in by being Jewish either. They get in by faith. Okay? Nobody gets in by ethnicity. Nobody gets in by natural birth. And that's why the Bible talks about that Jesus Christ is the only what kind of son of God? Begotten. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Jesus is the only natural son of God. Everybody else, from Abram to you, is in by adoption. Nobody belongs by birthright, okay? Because again, after Adam fell, what is our birthright now? Adam represented everyone in history. What's our birthright after Adam? 
What do we deserve after Adam? Death. Yeah, we deserve death. We deserve to be eternally cut off. And Caleb's right. God even guarded the garden with angels, with swords, flaming swords. You try to get in this way, I will hack you to pieces. You are dead meat if you try to get in by works or ethnicity. If you ever try that again, I've got an angel with a flaming sword to keep you out. You cannot do it. You will have to come in on the coattails of your older brother or else you will not come in. Okay? So again, uh, what we're seeing in our Matthew series that we're going through is Jesus is clearly moving beyond ethnic and national borders to the big adopted people of God. But how often don't we prefer people with our types of last names still? Is that something to think about? Low German last names are significantly more trustworthy than the other ones. Except if you know low German people like Dave Weeb. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <go on. laughs> the, uh, uh, so do you think part of the reason why uh, Jesus was, was leaving his uh, children was because uh, uh, like there was a couple of different times where they didn't know where they were going to and follow the thoughts of the I think so. So Dave is pointing out, if you didn't hear towards in the back, Dave's pointing out the radical nature of the ethnic divide that would have existed back then that we're not familiar with, right? So we tend to think of this, and maybe you're not like me, but the way I tend to think of it is, and this is changing very fast, but even just not, well, from my perspective, not that many years ago when I was a kid, you very clearly had Mennonite towns and French towns and Ukrainian towns. Right? And you can see it in the architecture. The Ukrainian towns all have the Eastern Orthodox onion on top of their church. Right? The, the French have their Catholic, their, their nice churches. Uh, and we had our, we had our churches too. Um, 
pretty modest and plain, right? And, and all of that, and the last names, and the customs, and the food, and the town festivals, we're all communicating about who we were. We're low German people, we're French people, we're Ukrainian people, right? And that, that is changing. People are moving around a, a lot more. But this really is not like that, right? Like, this is not uh, a rivalry in hockey between St. Pierre and Grunthal. It, it, this, it's not that, right? Because at the end of the day, St. Pierre and Grunthal, or Landmark and Lorette, live pretty similarly. We have a shared culture, even if we keep remnants of our old European identity. Right, yes, so in Lorette, if you're a true Catholic, you're a you know, Trinitarian Christian. If you're Eastern Orthodox and Tolstoy, you're Trinitarian. If you're an Anabaptist, Low German Mennonite in Landmark, you're a Trinitarian Christian, right? So even there, even with the different expressions of Christianity, you still have some kind of center, right? And so this, this is not that at all. This is saying your worst enemy is coming into the kingdom of God before you are. Gentile tax collectors are coming in before you Jews are. Okay, like at what point will you guys start to get it? It's not about having bar something in your last name. That's not it. Are you cut to the heart? Okay, because there's lots of ethnic sons of Abram that are headed to the lake of fire. And there's lots of sons of Ishmael who can be adopted into God's family. Right? It, 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 it truly is. Yeah, and so maybe the... the a more drastic comparison that Dave gave is imagine Puritan New England hearing that Hamas, there's, there's people turning to Christ from Hamas and you guys have to start getting along now. Right? And William Perkins is thinking, what? <laughs> right? But that's what this is. You, you're going to have to get over some pretty big hurdles here, people. And, and 2,000 years later, we still struggle with getting over these ethnic hurdles. It's we're getting somewhere, but it's still slow, right? It's still slow. But we have to see that. Adoption means you're in. You're in, regardless of your past. You're true. You belong here now, regardless of where you came from. Was there a hand over here? No? Okay. Anything else to add? Oh. Amen. Ray just recalled Dan Warkington Jr., Keith's grandpa, who many of us remember as a very gospel-loving preacher. He basically had the one sermon, and that's not bad. Uh, but Mr. Warkington cared deeply about people coming to know Jesus Christ through the gospel, and he did hang on to that. And I think he, he did get it. Ray was mentioning that. Anything else on this? Yeah. Well, and think, think of how much controversy this 
Jew-Gentile distinction being taken away caused? If it wasn't causing significant problems in the church, we would not have the book of Galatians, we would not have the book of Acts, and we would not have the book of Hebrews. All three of those books, the main theme is, you guys, you're... (laughs) Catch on. I'm going to find another way to say this, but you have to start catching on. And they don't. And then they have a church council, and they settle it, and nobody catches on. And then Paul has to keep writing letters. And then Paul confronts Peter. An apostle starts to back away and start recognizing a Jew-Gentile difference again in his table fellowship. And Paul has to say, I, I had to call him out. There's a record of it in the Bible. But adoption means adoption. If you're in, you're in. And it's by the blood of Jesus. Oh, it's brand new, yes. And that's why Jeremy says, and Howard's just saying too, it's, it's understandable why this was so difficult. You've been trained a certain way for, for so long. And I think even in that training, had they seen already in the Old Covenant, and some of them did, I don't think Abram would have been surprised by any of this. But the customs that come afterward... That was true in their customs, but I, I do think we see even in the Bible already hints of Gentile inclusion, right? But in, in terms of their, their cultic religion, like their, their actual forms, yes, you're absolutely right. But we do see hints of this already. God's promise to Abram that the nations of the earth will be blessed because uh, we've talked about this mysterious figure. Remember who Abram meets out in the desert? Who does Abram meet out in the desert? Melchizedek. And there's lots of interesting discussion about who this guy was. He has no father and mother. His name means king of peace. That's weird. He's a prophet, or he's a priest and a king, which Jews weren't allowed to hold both offices. Who was it? I'm inclined to think that was Jesus Christ. Many people disagree with me and say it's a type of Christ. I don't know for sure. He's mysterious for sure, and Abram pays him homage. And the future priests, the Levites, who are in Abram's loins at that time, through their covenant father, are paying homage. Okay? The Jewish priests are paying homage to Melchizedek, a Gentile priest king. So I think there's hints of that already in Abram. And then we have some Gentile women coming in, even in Jesus' own family tree, Rahab and Tamar. So there's hints of it in the Bible. But Howard is absolutely right in terms of all the instruction, in terms of who the covenants were directed at. It was Israel. So this would have been, unless Abram's there to explain it to them in person, and he's long dead, right? Grandpa Abram's long gone. Uh, All we're getting is these explanations. For them, I don't think they could have even conceived otherwise. Yeah, no, it would have been a huge paradigm shift, Dave. Um, what do you, what do you think of the, 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 the
Right, so Dave's asking if I'm understanding correct. So you've got this external form of signing and sealing little boys into the covenant, which is circumcision. We know that circumcision happens here, not on your male organ, right? And, and Abram seemed to understand that, and yet it's commanded for, for the babies, right, to be present before they have faith in the old covenant. This is true. And that's the basis on which many of our Pado-Baptist evangelical brothers and sisters continue the practice of baptizing infants, is in that understanding. But, so, and so your question is, did they start to lose the substance in the outward forms? They start to lose what this meant. Well, I think what they were, positively, I think they were seeing something that was supposed to be communicated in circumcision. Circumcision communicates several things. One, it's a reminder on every man's body that he is a covenant head of the people that are going to come out of his body. So it's a serious reminder of your responsibility as a man. You came from a man and you are going to produce more. And so putting that sign on the male body where it is, is a serious reminder. You are responsible for what comes out of your body. And I think they probably understood that. But circumcision is also a cutting away and a throwing off. Right? As a reminder, if you fail, okay, you are cut off. If you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be cut off with blood and thrown away. There is a promised blessing and a promised curse in cutting off a man's foreskin. That seems gross and kind of, if you're a teenage boy, it probably seems kind of funny. But it's, <laughs> it's not. This is serious business. This is the blood curse or the blessing that comes with being a man and being the father of children, being a covenant head. And so I think they got that. But what they missed was what the New Testament says this is a symbol for what happens in here. Okay? Because just because your body is circumcised doesn't mean your heart is. And in Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees, you see repeatedly men whose anatomy said they're sons of Abram, and their heart says they're, no, they, in no way do they belong to Abram. They're, they have not been circumcised in heart. They had been circumcised, but for them that's a curse. For them, their circumcision means, yes, you will be cut off and thrown in the garbage. And that's the unspoken assumption. But here's the deal. We all still struggle with that. Right? And, and so often in the Bible, symbols are important. Customs are important. And I would even say repetition and liturgy are important. I think because we notice sometimes what Dave has just said, which is true that sometimes when we just do the same thing over, we quit thinking about it. So the response of many people is, oh, every Sunday should be spontaneous, right? We're just going to share from the heart. We're just going to do whatever, you know, and we call it spirit-led, but it's usually me-led, right? Uh, or it's a sign of piety in some circles that I come from for a preacher to get his text as he's walking to the pulpit, okay? Some of my Holdemon relatives, my great-great-grandpa Weeb, was a Haldemont preacher. 
and he would get a Bible with a randomly placed bookmark, and as he's walking up, that's his text, because that's spiritual, right? If you prepare, well, now the flesh is in it, but if you just go up and do it spontaneously, it's spiritual. I'm thinking, what a way to make sure there's nothing but me <laughs> by just making it spontaneous, right? Spurgeon talks often, why don't, we, why don't we learn how God, how the Holy Spirit has taught other people in the past as well, right? The Holy Spirit works through preparation and through thinking through customs. So I'd say too, I mean, we practice covenant renewal worship here. We go through the five C's. It's thoughtful. It's intentional. If we don't explain it though, it's just going to become vain repetition, right? And those of us who practice believers-only baptism should never think that that's an escape from outward formality, right? It's easy if infant baptism is never explained to Presbyterian kids, they just assume they're in because they got baptized, even though that's not what their church is actually teaching them. But we can do the exact same thing. Oh, I'm 17, it's time to get baptized for absolutely no reason other than it's my 17th birthday. We, we can do this with anything, right? The, the only safeguard against this isn't forms and it's not getting rid of forms, it's explaining the forms, explaining the rhythms, explaining the warp and the woof of a Christian worship service, right? And, and liturgy and repetition are part of that, but it needs to be explained. Because even, again, going back to the Old Covenant, how often does God explain something he's doing symbolically so that when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You need to be ready with an answer. Here's what these stones mean. Here's what circumcision means. Here's what it meant that Abram, with all of Levi's sons in his body, kneels down and offers homage to Melchizedek. You have to have a, an answer ready. Okay? And just saying, oh, we're just spontaneous, we're spirit-led. Spirit-led churches, it's the same every Sunday. They have a liturgy, just like we do. So let's just, let's just say it. Forms are fine. Repetition's fine as long as it doesn't become vain repetition. We need to explain why are we doing this? What does this mean? Otherwise, we will fall into the exact same trap, and we frequently do. So we are no better than the people of the New Testament. In that sense, we are forgetful people. Anything else on this? Just the same thing? And no one really took the time to explain to you why, what these things are communicating or why we're doing it.
It should be about the same. Yep. Yeah, and so Tina, if you didn't hear in the back, or for the recording, Tina's just expressing that growing up Roman Catholic, which is strong on rituals and symbols, um, Tina, having not had it explained to her, just was going through the motions. <laughs> now it's time to kneel, now it's time to stand up, now we do the, you know, this, now we do that, right? It, if it's not explained, it's just being repetition. And so to put a pastoral turn on this at the end here. I want to suggest, well, not suggest, I want to say that biblically, repetition is good. Paul says in Philippians that, yes, I have to repeat myself, uh, but this is beneficial for you, and it does no harm to me. Okay? Forms and repetition are good. Jesus doesn't warn against repetition. He warns against what? Vain repetition. Going through the motions without thinking, without explaining it, without your heart being involved in a worshipful, thankful sense, that's the kind of repetition that God hates. That's the kind of repetition that God says, I don't want that kind of worship, Amos. Okay? I don't want your sober feasts. Just tell the Jews to stop it, because every time they give me false worship, I actually am more angry at them. That's the kind of worship God says, just knock it off. You'd be better off giving no worship than false, hypocritical worship. And yet that doesn't mean that forms and symbols uh, and predictability are bad. I do agree with C.S. Lewis that says, if everything is just coming at you different every Sunday, that actually gets to be very distracting. A thoughtful liturgy should be like a comfy slipper. It fits. So your, your attention properly, and this is the responsibility of each one of us, because the forms, you know what's coming next, more or less, that actually frees you to think about the substance, that frees you to think about the passage of Scripture that you're being read, not just the fact that, oh yeah, we read Scripture at this part of the service every Sunday. Yes, we do. And that frees you <laughs> to think about what you're hearing. Not wondering in awe of what's happening next. What, uh, uh, and now the pastor's coming in on a zip line. What? Right? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so the point isn't novelty. The point is to free the worship service from distractions. And we live our lives this way too. We tend to have certain rhythms and, and traditions in our own family. That's not bad. Just please involve your heart in it. Understand what do these stones mean? understand what, yeah, we read from Table Talk every supper. Yes. And that frees you to listen to the words rather than to wonder what's going to happen next. Okay? We sing songs. Pay attention to the words. Have your heart involved in a worshipful sense. Otherwise, it does become vain repetition. Jeremy, and then we'll close. Sure. Yeah, I'm married to a woman that has a meal plan. And I never think, oh, man, a meal plan? I'm not going to enjoy the steak tonight. No, no. I can enjoy the steak because there was a meal plan. Yeah, good analogy. 
Let's close in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for the tremendous blessing of adoption. Lord, because of the way our father Adam broke covenant with you, none of us have a legitimate right to stand before you in any meaningful way. None of us belong in your family. We're all by nature children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians. We all go astray from the womb. Lord, the thoughts and intentions of our heart are only desiring only evil continually. And yet, Lord, you sent an older brother. You sent a covenant keeper. You sent a hero to come keep your law perfectly, to understand what all these things mean, and to achieve righteousness for us and to take our sin from us. Lord, and I pray that as we consider what it means to be adopted into your family, that these wouldn't just be words or passages from the Bible, but that we would be cut to the heart and see the incredible price that you paid to send your son to do this, to take our guilt from us and then to cover us completely in his perfect righteousness so that when you see your adopted children, you no longer see us in our sins, Lord, but you see us robed in perfect righteousness. And you invite us to your table. You invite us to your hall to feast with you, to enjoy all your benefits, just as if we were Jesus himself. Lord, what a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous inheritance. And I pray uh, that we would be worshipful when we think about what it means to be invited into your family, never to be thrown out again, to be given your name, to be given your royal robes, and to be fed from your hand. Lord, I pray that that would cause in each of us a deep thankfulness a deep awe, a deep love, and a deep respect that would promote obedience and the kind of behavior that isn't fitting with being your adopted sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord, and I pray that you'd prepare our hearts also as we prepare to worship you corporately this morning. Lord, as we celebrate baptism and you putting your sign and seal uh, on people as we receive them into the church and as this happens publicly, Lord, thank you so much for that blessing. I pray that you would fill our hearts with gladness, fill our hearts with worship and awe as we prepare to enter your presence this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your kindness, and we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, and amen.